Amen. Thank you guys for leading us this morning. And good uh, morning to all of you and uh, welcome to Central if you're a guest of us. My name is uh, Craig and I get the privilege of concluding the teaching portion of our Advent series, and today the message is entitled Picture Perfect, and in a few moments we're going to go to the book of Ephesians, Uh, but uh, before then, I would like to invite the ushers, if they would, to uh, come down. They are just on their way. I've done that a bit quickly for them. They're not used to that. Um, And if you would like a copy of the Scriptures to follow along with us, we'll be jumping into a few texts this morning. All you need to do is to raise your hands in the air and our ushers would be delighted to place a copy of the Scriptures into your hands. And once there, you can actually turn to John chapter 1, John chapter 1. Now, in this series so far, I've suggested to you that the picture the Father had in mind when He sent His Son at the perfect time into the world was essentially for walls to come down. That as the Father looked out on the world, He saw a divided mass of humanity. In the Scriptures, that would be classified as Jew and Gentile. And in week number one, in a message entitled, The Silent Wall, I suggested to you from Ephesians that God sent His Son into the world so that the wall separating us from God and also person from person would actually be destroyed in and through the death of Jesus Christ. Last week, in a message entitled, No Stranger Danger, I suggested that the way that the wall comes down is through a hospitable God who loves us. I showed how at the end of his life, Jesus, in Luke chapter 24, as he walked on the road with two disciples, strangers to them as he was, as they got to the place where they were going, they invited Jesus to be their guest. He was a stranger to them. He became their guest. And as they sat around that table, the guest became a host. And it was in the moment that they were hosted by Jesus that these two disciples had the scales removed from their eyes and they saw who Jesus truly was. And I suggested that's how it works today. I suggested that in a nation that is divided with person against person and group against group, what God wants us to focus on is this Christmas is not simply the new humanity, uh, not simply the new creation that we have become in Christ Jesus, but the new humanity. That because of Jesus, different people from different places with different ecclesiologies and different pneumatologies, if you don't know what that is, you're blessed. That God's vision was for for different people to be one. And when we're one, walls come down. And when we who have experienced the truth and the power of Jesus ultimately commit to following His example and hosting people and making strangers our guests, that walls come down and eyes are opened to who Jesus is. And at the end of last week's message, that's the challenge I gave you with the, the gift of that Advent bag. And I rejoice that many of you have joined us in the 12 days at Central Challenge to not just experience the privilege of being new creations in Christ Jesus, but to express the privilege of being a new humanity in Christ Jesus. And many of you have hosted And yesterday was an incredible privilege of ours as a church to throw open the doors of our church and host families into our own facility. And God did a great work. And I'd like to invite Pastor Kelly up to share a little bit about what God did as we 
invited strangers to God into our facility. We hosted them. They became our guests. And Kelly, God did an incredible thing yesterday. Yes, Pastor. The, as the doors were opened yesterday, by the end of the day, 340 families came through these doors, saw this facility. 996 children's dream about hoping for Christmas became a reality. Isn't that incredible, folks? You guys did that. You did that. 500, can you imagine 500 volunteers that participated in this? Scores of people were praying. The men on Tuesday had prayed. We had actually prayer teams that were going on while the gospel was being shared. Uh, Becca Lynn and her team were absolutely amazing in the organization and how God, yes, they worked so, I'd like to know how many hours, Pastor, our people put into this under her team's leadership. But the thing that was one of the most exciting things is before the end of the day, we had said, let's this year, let's add an intentional gospel piece. And so in the children's area with Pastor Travis and his leadership team, and then Jose with Spanish and me dealing with the adults and the teenagers, each one of us shared, each one of those areas shared the gospel six times all, and you talk about fun. Man, you add, I didn't even need Red Bull for that. That was an incredible experience. <laughs> At the end of the day, conservatively speaking, 247 people received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Let's give a shout out to Jesus. Let's give him praise. Let's thank these workers. And thank you, Pastor. I don't need that. <laughs> yeah, he really didn't need that Red Bull for that. Um, Again, it's simple, right? Ephesians chapter 2. We are no longer strangers and foreigners. We are now citizens of heaven and members of God's family. And how did that happen? It happened because God is a hospitable God who invited strangers to be his guest as he hosted them. And folks, Christmas gives us an incredible opportunity to experience the power of hospitality. That is as true today as it was in Jesus' day. And we had the privilege of hosting our neighbors, people who may well have been strangers to us, but who were strangers to God. And because we opened the doors of our church, we opened the doors of our hearts, these strangers to us became our guests, and more importantly, hundreds of them became members of the family of God and citizens of heaven. That's what happens when people focus on the new humanity and step away from thinking about me and start to think about we. When we act as the family of God that we are, walls come down, eyes are opened, and lives are changed, not just for today, but for eternity. That's the power of Christmas United. That's the power of the new humanity. And that's the message we're celebrating today. So in your Bibles, go with me please to John chapter 1. If you received a Bible from our ashes, that's on page 1062. And uh, we're going to continue this idea of the new humanity through a message entitled Picture Perfect. You've just got a glimpse into seeing what happened yesterday, but there's something else that God wants you to see, because 
when we focus on the new humanity, it is an incredibly powerful picture. And we begin in John chapter 1 with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I I love verse 14, because in verse 14, we get to the heart of what John wanted people to perceive throughout his gospel. What we have in John is the simple idea that Jesus has come, not simply to tell people what God is like, but to reveal, to unveil, to show who God really is. John 1.14 is essentially John's nativity. What we notice, though, is that there are no earthly leaders. There is no King Herod. There is no Emperor Caesar Augustus. We notice that there are no nativity characters. There is no Mary. There is no Joseph. There is no Elizabeth and Zechariah. There are no shepherds. There are no angels. There are no wise men. And we can often look at that and wonder, are the stories the same? Why the difference? But the stories are the same. What I love about the carols that we've focused on this morning is the fact that they kind of almost peel the curtain back and allow us to glimpse behind the cosmic curtain and realize that with the coming of Jesus, God was moving the pieces around to reveal something great. And in John, and especially in John chapter 1 and verse 9, we catch a glimpse more clearly, more uh, kind of more uh, less subtly in a sense than all of the other gospels why Jesus came. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, we're not to understand this as universalism. We're to understand this that with the advent, with the coming of Jesus, hope and life had arrived to all people. This is the message of Christmas, that Jesus came to give light. I love that word. It's the Greek word photizo. 
It has the idea of illuminating, of revealing, of unpacking. Literally, it's to shine, it's to give or to bring light. Fotizo. John says, Jesus entered the world at Christmas to unveil, to reveal. But to reveal what? Well, in the passages we've just read, in the verses we've just read, there are three things that John says. He says at Christmas, firstly, what we notice is eternity is being unveiled. Just like the Christmas stories that we're familiar with, kind of peel back the curtain and allow us to glimpse behind the curtain into the kind of idea in the heart of God. In the same way, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 does the same thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It tells us that everything that was made was made by Christ, in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. Eternity is being unveiled. Secondly, we notice in verses 6 through 8 that Christ himself is unveiled. I love this portion of the Scriptures because it unpacks this idea of the Christ being revealed, the true light being unveiled, through talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, we read in John 1, in these verses, is essentially a witness. He bore witness to Christ. This idea of bearing witness, of proclaiming, of heralding, of announcing, of unveiling, is important to John. He uses the noun 13 times of bearing witness in his gospel. He uses the verb 33 times, 47 times in the gospel of John. John emphasizes witness, witness. Somebody is bearing witness to the Christ Witnessing is important to God. That's why we as a church focused on that yesterday. And Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 11 that John was the greatest witness, the greatest man ever born of a woman until the time of Jesus. The story goes like this. John is locked up in prison. He's wondering, with his idea of the future as it was, he's wondering why it is that the Christ had come and was setting people free, was bringing hope, was bringing life, and yet he found himself locked up in prison. See, John was the first person, but not the last person, to realize that what God often does for others, he sometimes doesn't do for me. It's one of the hardest lessons for us to learn, that God will treat one person one way, and then he will treat us in a different way. He loves us the same, but our stories are different. And John was frustrated by this. He was disappointed with this. He was disillusioned with this. And so he sent his disciples to Jesus and said, Jesus, are you the one who was to come? Are you, are, are you the Messiah that I've borne witness to, or do I expect someone else? And Jesus tells John's disciples, go back to John and tell him everything you've seen, everything you've heard. The deaf hear, the blind see. John's disciples go, and then Jesus turns to the crowds, and he says, I'll tell you this. Of every person, of any man born of a woman, none is greater than John. And then he says, but I tell you this, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
The Christ is being unveiled by John the Baptist, and he is worthy of mention here in John 1, 6 through 8, because he is the first. He is the forerunner. He is the first person to point out Jesus more clearly than anyone who has ever lived. Abraham lived by faith. Moses lived by faith. David lived by faith. The book of Hebrews tells us they acted in faith, believing that Jesus would one day come. But John was so great because he had the opportunity to point out Jesus more clearly than anyone who had ever lived. He was the forerunner. And for the comparison to work, what that means is you and I are greater than John because guess what? After the cross, after Jesus goes on the cross, and because we have the Scriptures, we understand the full intent of the mystery of God in Christ. And because we get it, John lived this side of the cross, before the cross, we live after the cross, after the resurrection, after the ascension, after the gift of the Spirit, we can point out Jesus more clearly than anyone before. And as we jump into Ephesians in a moment, you'll see that that is really important, the clarity of witness. The clarity of witness that God calls the church to is one of the reasons why the Father sent the Son. So in John, we have this idea of of God being unveiled in the person of Jesus. This is verses 9 through 14. We have eternity. We have Christ himself. And then we have this idea that at Christmas, God is unveiled. The verse that kind of sums this up is verse 14. In verse 14, a familiar verse, we read that phrase, and the word became flesh and dwelt or made his dwelling amongst us. That word dwelling or dwelt is the word skinu. It basically means to have a tent, to pitch a tent, to dwell, to spread a tabernacle. Uh, commentators will note that if you deprive the word of its vowels, it becomes very similar to the Hebrew word shakan, from which we get the idea of the Shekinah glory of God. And the idea in this word that, is that in the person of Jesus, God pitched his tent. Just like in the Exodus, where the people of God would, act, would go to the tent of meeting in order to meet with God, so now, in the Advent season, in the person of Jesus, God has literally pitched His tent amongst us, and those of us who have had our eyes open to the glory of Jesus realize when we meet Jesus, we meet God. And so you have this idea in John that is really clear is that in Jesus, we have a person who doesn't simply tell us what God is like. He reveals who God is. God truly is life. And we know that when Jesus brings people back from the dead. God is salvation, and we know that because when that woman is brought to his feet, guilty of adultery, he offers forgiveness, and he offers freedom. In Jesus, we don't simply discover what God is like. We discover who God is. Christmas tells us, you want to know what God is like? Think about Jesus. Warren Wisby in his commentary says this. Jesus is the true light, the original of which every other light is a copy. But the Jews were content with copies. They had Moses and the law, 
the temple and the sacrifices, but they did not comprehend that these lights pointed to the true light who was the fulfillment, the completion of the Old Testament religion. They were content with the copies. Paul has the same idea in Colossians. He talks about the church often being content with the shadows, not with the reality. You see, when the light shines on a person, it casts a shadow. The shadow is a copy of the real thing, and yet so many of us, in, uh, to kind of paraphrase what Paul says in Colossians, are actually concerned with hugging the shadow rather than embracing the true light of the world. What God calls His church to do is to embrace the reality, the real light of the world, not a copy of it, the copy of it that can be made to look very similar to the real thing, but is a real poor substitute for the real thing. John is saying, listen, in the person of Jesus, what we discover is who God is like, and we are not simply told this, we are shown this. Fotizo. As you look at that word, what English word comes to mind? Photograph, right? A photograph. This is Vipka and I standing at the top of Mount Kinabalu in Malaysia with a group of people where we did the Freedom Climb, which was a climb raising money and raising awareness for those women that were trapped in the sex industry around the world. I could tell you that we stood on top of a mountain, but when I show you, there's a difference, isn't it? I could also tell you that it was a really tough climb. Now, some of you who've been to Colorado will look at 4,000 meters. You're pretty good at the kind of conversion thing, and you realize, wow, that's only 14,000 feet. We've got mountains that are bigger than that. Now, I could tell you that it was straight up. That's what made this so hard, but if I show you, maybe it looks a little bit easier. You can see how that was. Straight up. I could tell you but that by the end of the first day, I was exhausted. <laughs> but when I show you that at 4 o'clock in the afternoon or 5 o'clock, whatever it is, I'm flat out on my bed, maybe you'll get it. Now, here's a woman who runs bottom left. My wife runs 100-mile races, and at the end of that first day, she's like, yes! The only problem is we had about 4,000 feet to go. See, I could tell you this. But what happens when I unveil this, when I reveal this, when I illuminate this through showing you a picture? I could tell you that we got up at 3 o'clock in the morning and we climbed in darkness using ropes. I could tell you that the week before a German girl fell off the cliff and died. But when you see it, maybe you understand why we got to the top and we were like, yes! See, there's a difference between showing someone something and telling someone something. The true light, Jesus, that gives light, that shows, has come into the world. See, there's a difference between showing and telling. And all of you elementary school teachers out here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Show and tell. 
Showing is done with imagery. Telling is done with narration. Showing allows the reader to infer the point. Telling spoon feeds the story. Showing allows us to infer our own conclusions. Telling draws the conclusion for us. Showing empowers the senses. Telling empowers the mind. John says, Jesus was born as a demonstration of God's love for you and for me. God didn't simply tell us he loved us. God showed us. That means that our faith isn't an idea. It's a person. Bird says this, the prologue of John is not about a message that, only, that offers hope, but about the message that is the only hope. It is not about an idea. It's about a person. God showed us. So for John, this gospel begins with the idea that in Jesus, eternity is being unveiled, that Christ is being unveiled, and God himself is being revealed. And John also says the reason that Jesus came is as a demonstration of the Father's intention to redeem, to save all peoples of the world. Now, what's interesting is that when we look into Ephesians, which is where we're going to go now, we'll see the same thing. We'll see the same idea. There is a consistency in presentation here. Some people will say that John's presentation of the Christ is different from the Gospels. It's different from Paul's, but there is synergy about this idea that at Christmas we celebrate God with us. And for a very definite reason, that God needed to do something in us. He needed us to experience who he was, and he did that by showing us. But in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul really begins there, but then he moves on from there. Again, in the Bibles the ushers may have given you, that's on page 1175. And I want to read Ephesians 3 from verses 7 through 11. And I want us to note how Paul kind of starts in the section where John is at, but he goes one stage further. And I want to suggest that in this modern America where there is so much division that the next step is the final step that you and I need to remember. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Paul writes, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now stop there. I love this. 
Uh, firstly, in verse 9, Paul says, although I am the least of all of the Lord's people, this verse 8, all of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. This grace was given to me. You see, when you receive God's grace, this not only saved you, it empowered you. The idea that grace is simply limited to a passive bestowal of God's favor, so once God was angry with you, now God is merciful to you, and that's where it stops, is, is a tragedy when it comes to understanding grace. The grace that saved you is the grace that empowered you. It empowered you, not only to experience God and become a new creation, it empowered you to express God as the new humanity. And what I love here is why. Why was this grace given to Paul? To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Riches is a favorite word of Paul in the first three chapters of of Ephesians. He uses it twice in chapter one, twice in chapter two, twice in chapter three. It's his favorite word. He loves it. Now look with me, whose riches are we talking about here? Christ's. Hold that in mind. The riches of Christ. John has said, listen, the reason that the Son took on flesh was to unveil God, because what is true of the Father is true of the Son. Riches of Christ. Six times in Ephesians 2 in chapter 1, 2 in chapter 2, 2 in chapter 3. Well, let's have a look then at one of these verses, and I want you to note this is a prayer that Paul prays. He prays that the eyes of our hearts would be opened, enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. His glorious inheritance. Who is his? Look at verse 17. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. Whose riches is it? The Father's riches. Go into chapter 2. It's exactly the same. Go into chapter 3. It is now suddenly the riches of Christ. You see, what is true of the Father is true of the Son. There's no difference here. When you look at Jesus, when, the, when you truly understand who Jesus is, you recognize in seeing Jesus, you see the Father. You want to know what God is like? Look no further than Jesus. And Paul says, church, I pray that your eyes would be opened, Ephesians 1.17, and that you would see the glorious riches of the Father that he's intended to give as an inheritance to his church. So we see basically here, and I'm going to build on this, Jesus doesn't simply tell people what God is like. He actually shows us. And God wants our eyes to be opened in this Christmas season to who Jesus is. Why? For me? Sure. But for we. There is an inheritance that he has given to us. That is true for us. And the tragedy of the church is that we all too often sing songs that have to do with I and me, not we and us. This is our inheritance Jesus died so that the wall separating us from God would be taken down, yes, but also the wall that divides you from me would also be taken down. Jesus died so the people who live next to other people and yet exist as strangers would ultimately be able to enter a new humanity that is, as we're about to see, the perfect expression of why God sent his son. God didn't just send his son for me. God sent his son for we. And when we truly understand who we have become in Christ Jesus, God does something amazing with this. And we see this in verse 9. 
to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. What is this mystery? Administration is the Greek word oikonomia, stewardship, economy. God has, from the beginning of time, been working out His plans and purposes to reveal a great mystery, which a mystery which was kept hidden in God who created all things. There was a mystery that God had kept to Himself. This is what you call a mystery, not a secret. If God has secrets, we'll never discover it. It's a mystery. It's like reading that murder mystery novel, and you get to the end, or like playing that game Clue, right? And you get to the end, and you think, wow, it was Mr. Green in the, in the living room with a candlestick, and I should have known it all along. It's a mystery. But you need the clues. And the clue here was Jesus. But until Jesus, this mystery of what God was doing in sending Jesus was actually kept hidden that no one could see it. But now when Jesus came, this mystery was made plain. Fotizo was revealed. Now because of Jesus, we can see that God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. You see, where's John the Baptist bore witness to the Christ whose mission it was to unveil God? The apostle Paul bore witness to the plan of God in Christ, thereby unveiling a mystery that God had long kept hidden. I said, this series was born into my heart because I, as I was praying about the election, I really sensed from God that the America after the election would be more divided than the American before it. And I sensed that God spoke a word into my spirit, basically saying, Craig, remind the church about we, not just me. Because, Craig, there is a beautiful mystery that is being unveiled and outworked through the church that the church, my people, need to see. It's not about them. It's about me. It's about me. There is a mystery that had long been kept hidden, and that mystery is not about me. It's about we. God does something with us. God wants to do something with us. And every time we gather here, God does something with us. What does he do with it? Look at verses 10 and 11. His intent, his intent in keeping this thing secret about, not about me, but about we, okay, his intent was that now, who? Through the church. Through you and me. What is the church in Ephesus? Remember, it is a mix of the most Jewish of Jews and the most Gentile of Gentiles. It is a mix of two becoming one. That's the church. It is today different people from different places with different experiences and different stories being found in one place as one in Jesus, this church. His intent was that through this kind of church, the manifold wisdom of God, I love this, should be made known to who? The rulers and the authorities where? On earth? No. In the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, when God opened the curtains and allowed us to kind of glimpse behind it in the stories of the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and the star. He wasn't just allowing us to peek in. He was allowing the heavenly realms that are opposed to God to peek out. 
Those people who said that God was crazy. Those people who said that God had lost because sin was in the world. Since the time of Babel, nation has been against nation. There has been division. God, you don't know what you're doing. But at Christmas, and because of Christ, the curtains are peeled back, not just so that we can peek in, but that what? That the principalities and powers can, can peek out and realize, in Jesus, God has one. Two can become one. People who exist in hostility to one another, that hostility can be removed. Lincoln puts it this way. By her very existence as a new humanity in which the major division in the first century world has been overcome. What was that? Nation against nation. Jew and Gentile. The church, capital C, folks. I'm going to explain that in a moment. The church, the universal, the global body of Jesus Christ, not just the local church, reveals God's secret in action and heralds to the hostile heavenly powers the overcoming of cosmic divisions with their defeat. I love this. See, there's something that God wants us to see. With Christ... As important it is for me to get right with God, as soon as I have become right with God, there is a we that I become a part of. And this we actually has a role. It has a role not simply on earth to offer people the opportunity to become friends, children of God, heirs of the king, members of God's family, but it also has a role in the heavenly realms that leads towards the consummation of all things in Christ when he returns. See, the presence of the church, as she unites hostile sections of humanity in one body, is picture-perfect proof of what the Father accomplished in Jesus. And Christmas that we're celebrating right now is a celebration of peace and goodwill to all peoples, but it's also a witness, that word again, to all authorities on earth and in heaven. You know what happens, folks? What happens is whenever we're here, God takes our picture. And do you know what he does with this picture? Can you find yourself on that? Do you know what he does with this? He just takes it around all the heavenly realms, and he just says, see this? I know what I was doing, and you doubted me. Hostile powers, your days are numbered. The time is coming when Jesus Christ will return, that all things will be as they should be. And this, this right here, this is picture-perfect proof. See, the tragedy in the, in the Western church is that there are too many Christians who go to churches where people look like them, think like them. Go down the south, folks, and you will see a Southern Baptist, free will, post-millennial, whatever else it'll be, church. And everybody in that church thinks like them. And you know what happens when that happens? What happens is this. Same photograph, it's blurred. The biggest tragedy is that Sundays are the most segregated hour of the American week. It blows the picture, the mystery that God had held close to his own heart until the advent of Christ. And when Christ came, it made it possible not just for you and me to be right with God, but for us as a people to be right with God and right with God one another. This is the message of the church. This is what we essentially need to be celebrating. 
you see, the message is simply this. A kingdom-minded people never run from believers who are different from them. They stand tall. They lock arms. They lift their heads while Jesus takes their photo and proudly displays it for all the cosmic doubters to see. Oh, I don't need to be a Christian and go to, I can be a Christian without going to church, sure. But you're depriving God of the opportunity to hold up our photo and display it to the principalities and powers and basically say, see, your time is coming. This is proof. I know what I'm doing. And soon, everything will be the way that I intended it to be. Church, I really believe that the world, our world, our neighbors, Want to see this kind of Jesus? Yesterday is proof of that. Nearly 250 people who live around us came in here and saw old and young, male and female, black, Hispanic, and white, stand tall, lock arms, worship Jesus as we hosted strangers, made them our guests, and guess what happened? Walls came down, eyes were opened, and people became members of the family of God and citizens of heaven. That's what happens when we becomes the priority, not me. The world is fed up with cheesy Christians and cliche Christianity. What they want is for you and me, what God wants is for you and me to lay down our rights and be willing to bend the knee in service for Him in this world. What He wants is for you and I to stand tall, lock arms, smile, even say cheese, as Jesus takes our picture and displays it for everyone to see. And you know, I really believe that when that's the kind of focus the church has, not only are the eyes of the world open, that joy returns, hope returns, life returns, and maybe even fun returns. There is nothing greater to the mess of division than the message of unity in Jesus. And if that becomes our focus, joy returns. As you cast your eyes to the screen, let joy, let peace, let hope, let life return into your life. As you are wanting to make strangers your guests and just do life with them. Look at this. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year
jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring, snowing and blowing a bushels of fun. Now the jingle hop has begun. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bell time and jingle bell time. Dancing and prancing in Jingle Bell Square. In the frosty air, what a bright time. It's the right time to rock the night away. Jingle Bell time is a swell time to go gliding in the one horse lane. Prospero año y felicidad Feliz Navidad Feliz Navidad Feliz Navidad Prospero año y felicidad Mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time. Oh, the most wonderful time of the year. Merry Christmas. Amen.
You should have seen the, the guy with the harness on with this at the end of this. He was sweating. You could have uh, probably put, in, put the water in a swimming pool. Uh, it was uh, incredible. That's just our way of saying, folks, Merry Christmas from all of us to all of you. Yeah, we're a group of weird people um, who use time irresponsibly at times, I suppose. But what's great with this is that when different people with different stories, subtle differences in our preferences, we just get together and we do life with Jesus and incredible things happen. We've seen that yesterday, and we believe we're going to see that next weekend, and we're going to continue to see that. So we want to invite you all back next weekend for our Christmas experience weekend, where we will celebrate Christmas around the world. We're welcoming back Stickyard again, and uh, they are an incredible uh, percussion group that will join with our team leading us in worship. There will be opportunities Friday night and Saturday night at 6.30 and Sunday at 10, which means that if you arrive at 11, it's too late. Okay, we've got, um, the, we've got those uh, things on. And also at the same time, we want to remind you, maybe you're a guest of us today, you weren't here last week. Last week we gave away a, just a gift from us to you. Inside there is a gift, but there are also a couple of things in there, challenges that were challenging families to get together to consider over 12 days. How can I experience and how can we experience Christmas as a family together? But also, how can we express, as a part of the new humanity, the hope and the life that Jesus has given to us? And already, as some people have started doing that, and we're hearing great stories coming back to us as a church about what happens when we are committed not only to experience Christmas as new creation families, but also as we're willing to express Christmas as a new humanity family. And so please join us next week. Take this gift back. If you're going to start the 12 days of Christmas from tomorrow, that's fine. That 12 days will end on our Christmas weekend with the Christmas Eve service at 3 in the afternoon. And then we have a Christmas morning service as well. We would warmly invite you and all of your guests to join us for that period. But church, we're thankful for what God has done. We're excited about what God is doing as he is making us a better picture of the perfect humanity Jesus died to create. And folks, make no mistake about it, this is the mystery that was kept hidden from ages past. That the division of sin that caused us to be separated from God and separated from one another has been dealt with. And how do we know that? It's because there's no division in the church. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. Folks, go from here knowing that we are all one in Jesus Christ. Go in grace, go in peace. We look forward to seeing you next weekend. Have a great week and God bless you.